Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 107. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we'll begin to look at the first letter of Paul to Timothy. And uh, so a little background on that before we get into the text. We're first introduced to Timothy back in Acts chapter 16. So you may want to brush up on uh, Timothy by reading Acts chapter 16, and we'll see that at that time, he's a young man. He's the guy that Paul has circumcised, although Timothy, who had a... Uh, uh, you know, a mixed background of, of being Jewish and, uh, and not Jewish uh, at his conversion to Christianity, uh, Paul said, hey, I think you should get circumcised so that when you have discussions with the Jews, um, they will be able to relate to you better. So we also see in the book of Acts, Timothy mentioned a, a number of times because Timothy is, is Paul's companion on both the second and the third missionary journeys. And so, you know, you'll see him in Acts chapter 19. You'll see him in Acts chapter 22. And um, so he's, he's also mentioned a couple of times. Uh, well, most recently we saw him in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 2 mentioned. So he is a follower of Paul. And so uh, what we're about to look at, the next three letters are called Paul's pastoral letters because they are not written to a church per se, but rather written to, uh, there's two letters to Timothy and one to Titus. And both of these fellas are um, appointed by Paul to lead churches and or areas of churches uh, in the areas that Paul has evangelized. <clears throat> so rather than admonishing churches on what they need to do, he's advising individual pastors on what they should do. So some of this will, a lot of it will be relevant to all of us, though you may not uh, consider yourself a pastor. Um, but, and then some might be a little, a little bit personal. So uh, this letter uh, to Timothy, and perhaps the second one as well, is thought to have been written after Paul's, after the end of, first, uh, of Paul's first Roman imprisonment and uh, his execution under Nero. Well, we know that his execution was somewhere 63-65 A.D., so um, we, we do know that Paul was let out of prison for a period of time. So uh, anyway, um, one thing to recognize about this uh, first letter to Timothy is that the word godliness, or its derivative of it, is used eight times in that letter. So Paul is urging Timothy to be godly. Now, the very first thing, now it's okay to turn to 1 Timothy and see what we have here. The very first thing that Paul tells um, of Timothy is to watch out for false doctrine. 
Now, with everything else going on in in the church, um, you know, Paul's talking about doctrine. Doctrine is important, okay? Uh, the church is, of course, uh, persecuted at this time by Jewish as well as Roman sources. But Paul says, you got to teach sound doctrine. So, I have had this question come up before in classes that I've taught where people say, why is doctrine so important? Can't we just agree to love Jesus? You know, all that matters is that we love Jesus and doctrine isn't important. And when I get that question, I always answer, well, okay, what Jesus do you want to love? We have to know him and know what he teaches to to know what we ourselves should stand for. For example, if you perceive that Jesus is a militant, uh, you know, you you would have him, you, you would uh, show, you would emphasize the passages where Jesus, you know, takes out a whip and he's knocking over tables in the temple and chasing people out and up, up uh, you know, turning over the money, money, uh, you know, lenders, tables, and all that sort of thing. If you want to emphasize Jesus as a pacifist, you would you would emphasize the passages that talk about him turning the other cheek and 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 that sort of thing. So it's and of course both of those are aspects of of Jesus. You know, his righteous indignation, uh, which he, he clearly was angry at the incident in the temple, as as well as his emphasis on on peace as well. So my point is, if you want to know Jesus, you have to know the doctrines that Jesus passed on to the apostles. So isn't it enough to, to just love Jesus? Well, in a sense, yes. But in a, in a sense, in order to love Jesus, we have to know Jesus and we have to know what Jesus was, was emphasizing to the apostles, okay? So doctrine does make a difference, okay? So um, he says... Um, you, I want you to stay to Timothy in verse 3 of chapter 1. I want you to stay in Ephesus to instruct certain people not to teach false doctrines. And we've certainly had enough of that over the last 2,000 years, haven't we? Uh, particularly, well, maybe not particularly, but uh, I'm, I'm emphasizing through this class some of the false doctrines that have crept into um, the belief systems of the Christians of the world over the last 500 years, okay? And um, so he says, you know, a lot of people in verse 7, a lot of people want to be teachers of the law, but without understanding either what they are saying or what they assert with such assurance. And so I would suggest that is why we Catholics need the Bible but we also need to read the Bible through the eyes of the church. Get yourself a catechism. In the back part of the catechism, there are references to specific verses of the Bible and what the church uses of, of those scriptures to um, enlighten 
us as to why the church teaches what it church, what what it teaches. So then, um, why did Jesus come? That is that is very fully developed in one verse. In in fact, in part of one verse, take a gander at First Timothy, chapter one, verse fifteen. The last part of that verse says, why did Jesus come? Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Okay. A lot of people don't think they need saving, right? Um, but, uh, you know, we are all sinners. We are in need of a savior. And Jesus came to offer his forgiveness, to for offer his mercy, and to invite us into a relationship with him that will end in an eternal life with, with him. And thus, we are saved through Christ's acts. Okay, now, interestingly, let's go on to chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. And we, say, we see in verse 1, he says, uh, I want you to, he's talking to Timothy, of course, and he says, I ask that supplications, prayers, etc., be offered for everyone, for kings and all in authority. Wow, you might want to underline that. This is written at a time of heavy persecution for the Christian churches. Um, if this is written when we think it was, Nero was the Caesar, Nero was the, the king at the time. And so he was persecuting Christians. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, you got to pray for your enemies. So I'll ask you, do you pray for those who think differently than you politically? Do you pray for people who think different than you um, in, in terms of your, your religious faith, etc.? We are to pray for everyone, especially maybe for people in authority. Do you pray for your boss, even though he might be a jerk, etc.? Now we come to a little bit of a controversy that really shouldn't be. To me, I think it's pretty clear. Let's look at verse 3 of chapter 2. Um, our Savior, uh, well, actually look at verse end of verse 3 and beginning of and, and verse 4. Our Savior, who wills everyone to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. So there are some people in this world, universalists, who say, oh, everybody gets to heaven because it says right here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, God wills everyone to be saved. Okay, so everybody gets to go to heaven according to their, their idea. All right. Well, we would say no. We would say God wills everyone to be saved. That's, that, that is plan A. But he loved us so much that he gave us a free will. Because if he just made us love, if he willed us to love him, uh, that wouldn't really be love, would it? We'd, we'd all just be robots, you know, following without a choice. So God wills that everyone to be saved, but yet, you know, that, that's plan A. He, he wants us to be saved, but it's a free gift, but you still got to open the gift, okay? And so he loves you enough 
to let you choose to follow Christ. Yes, he chose you, but you've got to cooperate with that choice um, in order to be saved. So God wills everyone to be saved. That's plan A. But since he gave you a free will, um, you know, you may choose to reject that gift. Okay. So there's that. Now let's look at another controversy. Uh, verse five, there is one God. No, there shouldn't be any controversy there, but, um, you know, for some people there might be, you know, particularly in the Eastern uh, part of the, of the world, Eastern religion. There is one God. Now here's the part where it might be a little controversial within the Christian world. There is also one mediator between God and the human race. Okay. So this verse has been twisted by our Protestant friends who say, ah, okay, there's one mediator between God and the human race, and that is, of course, Jesus. And yet you Catholics in your own catechism make reference to Mary as co-mediatrix. So therefore, you're against biblical teaching, and therefore, you're you know you're really not uh, not Christian in in that belief. Okay, so I want you to underline that second part of verse five. Um, there is also one mediator between God and the human race, Christ Jesus Himself, human. Okay, but after you've underlined that verse, I want you to circle the word one. Okay, now I'm going to uh, give you a little bit of Greek here. The Greek word used here for the word one that you see, the Greek word used here is spelled E-I-S, ice maybe, E-I-S, which means first or primary. Um, if there was, uh, if there was, Gonna supposed to, if if the phrase was supposed to mean that Jesus is the only mediator, the Greek word would have been monos, M-O-N-O-S, M-O-N-O-S, which means only or sole. So, uh, and in fact, if you look at the three verses that preceded this, Paul's talking about, hey, I want you to pray for everybody, okay. So in a sense, we are all mediators in the sense that we, we bring our petitions to, to uh, Christ. And uh, so Mary is co-mediatrix. So, okay, think of an airplane, right? You've got a pilot on an airplane, right? And he's the boss, but you also have a co-pilot who is helping that pilot. Now the co-pilot is not in charge. It is the pilot. But the the co-pilot is perhaps at times uh, offering up suggestions, etc., uh, giving opinions on things. And uh, so it is with Mary. So lest you have any doubt that uh, the Catholic Church is deifying Mary, uh, I think you can read about Mary as co-mediatrix or co-pilot. In the Catechism, uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 969 through 970. So we all mediate, we are all mediators in some sense of the word of Christ's, uh, of Christ's graces, right? 
we are supposed to pray for others as we see here. Now, if we don't have enough controversy, I'm going to look at uh, verses 8 through 11, where Paul talks about, hey, you know, women aren't supposed to have, you know, really uh, flashy hairstyles or pearls or expensive clothes and uh, rather dress, uh, you know, as women who are believers in God. And so, again, I think if Paul were speaking to us today in our churches today, he'd say, hey, women, you know, don't dress like prostitutes. We're, you know, dress in, in a way that is not intended to call it attention to yourself in, a, you know, in, a, in an obviously sexual way. Uh, you know, have a little self-control here, right? You're particularly during worship. You know, you're in you're in the house of God. <clears throat> Here's the another controversy. But we got our share of them in this short lesson. Verse twelve: I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Okay, so you can underline that if you like. If you have a problem with that. And I've already talked, um, and I would say in your margins, you might want to, um, I gave you the counterpart another time. In your margins, you could write Romans chapter 16, verse 1, which refers to Phoebe as a great helper of Paul, in some translations, even a deaconess. Okay, so if you wanted an opposite view of that, but we don't really, you know, the Bible does not contradict itself, right? So there clearly are uh, is a need and an essential need for uh, women to serve the church, not necessarily, or, or or I should say, not in an ordained capacity. And I want you to look back, you know, if you're questioning this, I want you to look back at our lesson on Romans chapter 16, verse 1, where I go into some detail about that. You might also write in your margins next to verse 12, the words ordinatio sacerdotalis. And we talked about that in the Romans 16 verse, uh, Romans 16 chapter 1 uh, lesson. Ordinatio sacerdotalis is spelled O-R-D- I-N-A-T-I-O, sacerdotalis, but that's a long one, S-A-C-E-R-D-O-T-A-L-I-S. And it is a, an encyclical by John Paul II. I believe it was from 1984. And I go into great detail in the, our lesson on Romans 16.1 about uh, the ordination of women. So I'm not going to repeat that here. But uh, suffice it to say, clearly women have uh, an integral role as leaders in the church, but that is a difference from being an ordained minister. Well, we're about out of time for this session, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we are reminded by Paul's writings of the necessity of following correct doctrine. Uh, 
which we know that you handed on to the apostles. So help us to be faithful to apostolic teaching and not go off on all of these sidetracks that we have seen over the last 2,000 years. We know that you set up one church and gave that church the Holy Spirit to guide it into all truth regarding doctrine about you know faith and morals. And so give us the willingness to follow that church on its teachings in that area and not go off into all kinds of tangents that could compromise our witness and perhaps even our soul. And uh, help us to, to um, remember why Christ came into the world, to save sinners as are we. We also ask that you help us to pray for everyone, particularly our leaders, particularly those who don't seem to uphold Christian teaching. We must pray for everyone unknown. And um, so we ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.